Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following is excerpted from a session of Dharma Dialogues called The Truth of Suffering. It was recorded in Berkeley, California in 2016. Usually when people come to gatherings, they come for some form of entertainment or to learn a program or to go to a sports event. Usually there's some specific offering. So it's quite unusual, isn't it, to come together really just to be, to be on a certain frequency of ease. Just to hang out and not do, and not have to learn anything. In fact, just to release everything not employ the mind. Of course, thoughts do arise on their own, but no employment of the mind is required. And so in an evening like this, there's a, I like to say, a steeping, a steeping that occurs when friends sit together and are reminded of this frequency makes it very easy to tune into it. That's the power of such a gathering. And so often in spiritual communities, there's a a mistaken assumption that there's somewhere to get something to be realized. Even people who've heard the good news that there isn't hold out a little secret stash that there really is. And I know this because I've been talking to them for 25 years about this. People who've heard this many times, they hold out a little secret stash that there's there's a catch. And that at some point something called enlightenment, or you hear all kinds of names for it. I always say that's a fairy tale for grown-ups. You hear all these words, these possibilities that you're going to hit some kind of state whereby you're just going to be in bliss, or you're going to be, there's going to be not much thinking, or if there is any thinking, it'll be of an altruistic kind of um, patterning. Or that even the assumption that you're always going to be kind of flowing along, even that assumption, I would say, is extra. Because sometimes you're just not. Sometimes it's hard and it catches you. And maybe agitation arises or fury even arises. Or other things, petty things, jealousy and all kinds of things arise. There they are, they arise. Did you cause it? No. One of my dear friends, Wes Nisker, has a great line, you are not your fault. He's got a new book out by that title, I recommend it. You are not your fault. And you're not deliberately thinking those thoughts, they arise on their own. So more and more one can understand, you can come to the wonderful recognition that there's this stream of thoughts rolling on its own, there's this creature called you with all kinds of peculiarities, very conditioned. The house where I'm staying has two little dogs, a girl and a boy of different breeds. And the girl is quite dominant. They both have such distinct personalities. They're both their own little perfect creatures, just as they are. 
just like each of us. So there's a recognition in this steeping that there's really nothing to do and there's no catch to it. There really is nothing whatsoever to do about your big improvement project, your big me project you've been working on. And then you just relax. You can employ your mind for other better uses, you know, if you want to learn the piano or read great literature, study cranial sacral work, right? But in this, the so-called spiritual domain, there's only resting and being. in the clear understanding, the clear knowing that you really are not your fault. That this patterning of mind and however crazy it may be at times rolls on its own and the more that you're allowing space around that, the more that you're not fighting that, the more you're just saying, ah, there dear, the freer you feel. So, if anyone has anything you'd like to discuss on these matters, please feel free. Yes. I like the, uh, you're not your fault. As a psychotherapist, I also wonder how and where does it not go into victimhood? Or how do we, you're not your fault, but we're also not victims, you know, and we take responsibility in some way. Right, well, saying you're not your fault would certainly not make you a victim, right? It would be the opposite. Um, you are not your fault in that whatever your psychological knots, they're not, you're, you're, they're not your fault that you caused them. These are, these are manifestations of the conditioning, Right, but then it becomes the fault of my parents, my environment, <laughs> uh, whatever. Yeah, and they're not their fault either, right? So this is an understanding of the impersonal nature of the personality, the impersonal nature of the psychology. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to work on that with someone as a psychotherapist. You can have those conversations and help people see the ways that certain patternings are showing up in their lives, maybe causing some difficulties in relationships or paralysis in their work or whatever. But all the while, my recommendation to you as a therapist, first of all, is to see their free nature, to see that they really are not their fault, that there's just this conditioned stream that they're really sometimes buying into. And in your willingness not to see them as their mind stream, but rather to see them as just a being hanging around with this particular conditioning, just like one of the dogs, um, that, that is a kind of transmission of freedom from you to them. I always say, see, see them as a Buddha, right? Yeah, I certainly believe in seeing their beauty or preciousness. Yes, yes, of course. And I, I, I further recommend seeing that the free nature, that nothing is sticking in their awareness, and that at any moment you might be experiencing with them free and clear awareness, where the story recedes way into the background, and what comes forward is this radiance of being. And the more you're sitting in that yourself as the therapist, the stronger you're sitting in that yourself, the stronger the transmission. And that is what I recommend for therapists to be transmitting. <laughs> you know, that that's really the ultimate therapy.
Unfortunately, it's so powerful that often people finish with therapy very quickly and it puts you out of a job. And I've heard this many, many times. So many people I know who are therapists over the years have come to the point where they say, well, you know, <laughs> we're going through it so fast and, and, and coming to just this sort of free hanging out you know, that they then start doing something called transpersonal therapy, and then eventually it's just, you know, they, they have to end the, pro- the process. Because, you know, after a while, y- even you don't want to be talking and hearing their story, you know. And they don't want to be saying it, you know, so. I wish it was that simple. I mean, I agree in principle, but there are traumas and other things yeah. that need to be worked through. Sure, That's there are. not just sitting in awareness. Right. There, of course, are more gnarly situations that maybe take much longer to kind of look at and to explore and to be in a safe place to talk about naturally. But I'm talking about more the garden variety neurosis, (laughs) right? And a lot of times people who start to fall in love with the, you know, the freshness of being will finish with therapy because they finish with the story. They finish with the going over and over the story. And the story becomes not that one denies it or minimizes it as having played its role, but that you see through the solidity of it. And then when you see through the solidity of it, you start to suspect that the moment, the story you're living has that same dreamlike quality, right? So even then, even the, the current stories aren't as huge in your, in your mind. So I like to say what happens is it's like a shape-shifting your awareness, in a way, shapeshifts. It goes from, you know, being very invested in the personal story and all the problems of me, <laughs> right? And all the dreams and desires of me and all the hopes and all the, sto- the history and what might happen and the world and, you know, that all, the roar of that, the volume starts to get turned way down. And it's almost like there's this, as I say, shape-shifting. It used to be this throbbing story of me and the center of the universe. Suddenly, it's receding. It's a softer story. It's going, you know, into the background. And in the foreground is this radiance of being where you're actually, you know, tasting your tea and looking into the eyes of your friend and noticing the quality of moisture in the air when you're outside and, or the particular cool of the room in which you happen to be sitting and the colors before you and on and on. You come into the brightness of, of clarity of attention. And it's a beautiful thing to offer as a therapist, as someone who sits before others who trust you, obviously, you know. So when you're resting as that in yourself, it's, 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 I would say, the highest form of therapy. What is your name? Yossi. Can you say that again? Yossi. Yossi. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's see, over here, since it's easiest. <laughs> um, so it, if um, <clears throat> if I'm not my fault and um, if, if there's just this conditioned thinking that's flowing by, um, then um, if it can, if it makes sense to talk about purpose, then, then I, I can talk about it in terms of just... Um, Resting in the the beingness that I am, and um, and, and integrity would be being in alignment with that. It, does that? 
Yeah, I, I also say, I have a section in my book, there's a section I have called Natural Ethics. So you're asking about integrity. When you are at ease in yourself, I like to say when you're in your right mind and heart, in other words, when you're understanding what I just said to Yossi and living as that, there's a natural tenderness that arises, a natural tenderness. Because you see so clearly, you see the ramifications of every small action, right? Because your awareness is so bright and unmitigated by the crazy mad story, and you're no longer the slave to your ego, which is demanding that somehow you have a presentation in the world, when this is all receded, and you're, you're at one with your world, at one with your environment, at one with your friends, your family, your everything, you're so tender, right, that you don't need any rule book of ethics. The ethics are written in your heart. And by the way, it's a higher, a higher demand of, of um, delicateness, in the world than any rule book that I know of in terms of moral rules. It's a more demanding one. So, so there's, um, so, so if I'm not just so uh, immersed in, in the thinking of, of um, me as a person, me as a, an ego or, or Are you as a, a project, story. yeah. Yeah, me mm. as a product. Project, project uh-huh. Um, then, then there's, there's more, energy and awareness to and sensitivity to um, what's in the moment including um, the delicacy of relationship yes yeah. very good absolutely uh, yes okay and then um, then in, in terms of purpose uh, it, it seems like there's there's like this futurity uh, about purpose you know like there's it's a continuation of the the storyline, and it even seems like there's this this pastness to it, like yeah. like my making up for um, the senselessness of the suffering that I've I've suffered in the past. Very interesting. Is is, is somehow tied up with with my purpose. Right? Very good. So yeah. I, I who have been victimized will make sure that those in the future in that similar situation don't get victimized and that's that's a sort of purpose that can be taken on um, but in, in a sort of so so but is there a, a, another sort of sense of purpose that that comes out of just that immediate intimacy and sensitivity to the present um, that that is there when I am not so immersed in the story of myself. Hmm. Um, I, I uh, usually don't dance around with the word purpose. I find it quite loaded. Yeah. Um, and as you say, you know, sort of future, future projecting. I also bristle uh, when people talk about finding your life's purpose. Yeah. Um, it always sounds like a job that I never quite got my head around. <laughs> Um, so, um, you know, I get a little nervous when I hear that talk. Um, so I don't recommend going at it quite like that. I like what you said, though, about sometimes we have a, uh, something happens to us in life and it creates a kind of motivation for offering help, right? Um, it creates a kind of, uh, I saw in the news just yesterday, uh, this whole long list of people talking about various politicians who, because of their exposure to, like for instance, Dick Cheney, because he has a gay daughter, he became proactive for, for gay marriage, believe it or not, Dick Cheney, right? Why? Because he had the empathy for at least this one person on earth. <laughs> um, and, um, and that created that created that motivation, right? And, and there were a whole bunch of them. Nancy Reagan, who died today, but anywhere yesterday. Um, she once, you know, because of her husband having uh, 
Alzheimer's, she became, yeah, she became more active in STEM health. So I'll say, so obviously these kinds of connections in our lives, very specific, can be very beautiful, like that you just are offering yourself as a, you know, as a, uh, I wanted to say a warrior for for, um, the good, you know. Um, That is different than having to have like the ego having to have some sort of purpose, you know, have to make my stand and make my mark. Um, I like I like the I like the whole I like the Jesus line. Consider the lilies of the field. You know, they toil not, and and you know, like you just think about just the beauty, right? Just the just the beauty of the lilies of the field. You know, and. I recommend going more in that direction. Just let your beauty shine. And in this, in this sweetness of being, it does automatically. And that seems like it boils down to sensitivity again? Yes, it certainly... I'm not sure it boils down, but um, <laughs> sensitivity is definitely a part of that. Naturally, you know, that... When you're awake, in terms of paying attention, when you're when you're at ease in your awareness, when there's that brightness, your senses are awake, and not just your physical senses, but also your senses uh, with regard to the people that you're interacting with. You asked about ethics. I sometimes use the example. Let's say you're in conversation with a friend or a group of friends. And you say something teasingly in front of the other friends about one friend. Let's say it's even not that bad. It's just innocuous, but you, you kind of tease the friend. And you see a flicker of embarrassment. You just see a flicker of embarrassment on their face. No big deal in most cases, but in your case, because you see it and because you're sensitive, you feel it like a little stab in your own heart. There's a little regret, a little moment of, I wish I hadn't said that, right? Because of the sensitivity, because of the extreme acute attention. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. And then the other piece of this, with that level of sensitivity, and that level of empathy. It also puts you at, um, at the effect of feeling people's sorrow rather easily. Like I have a hard time if someone's telling me something and they have tears in their eyes. Suddenly I have tears in my eyes. You know, I just, it happens a lot. Um, it, it puts you at that kind of, um, you know, self unto self. And so a lot of people really avoid that. They don't want that. You know, they, they, they're armored, they're buffered. So this level of sensitivity comes with some um, risk, you could say. At the other end, it comes with a lot of joy. You're susceptible to little joys, little small delights, and you laugh easily as well. So I always say... I actually only hang out with the brokenhearted. You know, and what I mean by that is people who are willing to just let their heart be broken easily, you know. Because in this world, there is incredible sorrow. You know, if you're paying attention and you don't have some silly spiritual story to buffer you, this is rough. It's a rough place. Right, you, I got you know what's going on on the global scale, what's going on just among one's friends and family. You know, I, I don't get through a week without hearing somebody died, you know, or is about to die. And you know, you you if you're really alive, you're feeling it, but. 
you're also feeling all the little beauties, you know, all the little the, the flashes of of um, just this extraordinary expression of life. Thank you. You know, it seems like there's a moving into suffering that breaks, because I took care of my parents with Alzheimer's, that breaks the story when you see the suffering somehow. Mm. What is your take on that? Mm. Because mm -hmm. you're one of the only people I've heard that actually, except for Krishnamurti, mm -hmm. you and Krishnamurti are about the only spiritual teachers I've ever heard talk, and that's my experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what your yeah your take on that. By the way, the Buddhists are very good on this. The, yes. Buddha, the Buddha's first noble truth was the truth of unsatisfactoriness or the truth of suffering. The first noble truth. <laughs> um, so they do talk about it a lot there in those circles. But I appreciate that you're um, you know outing it. <laughs> um, yeah, um, isn't it the case? I mean, isn't it the case here? And I think that people who um, ignore it or, you know, deny it or try to gussy it up with some uh, spiritual story or just sort of bandy about old spiritual ideas like it's all perfect or it's not really happening, this is an illusion, it's Leela... Uh, you know, it, it seems like various forms of denial that they basically can't handle it. Um, the reality is here on the ground, there's a lot of loss. There's a lot of loss. More and more so as one goes, right? One's own body starts changing. As you're experiencing, people leave you for various reasons. Either they choose to or they die or whatever, the ways part. Um, and, you know, it, that's how it is here. Tremendous amount of loss. It's like walking around in a minefield. Um, is there joy also? Yes, there is, of course. But it's to really allow the full spectrum and to be honest about it and to be large enough to contain it, you know, that in your own being, which is starts to feel more and more boundaryless in a sense, you know. I, I like to feel my own awareness as sky-like, yeah. you know, like the sky. sky. Yeah. That's the name of my band, Sky Report. That's the name of your band? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so there you go, Sky Report. <laughs> sky Report. Yeah. Um, you know, to really, f to really experience yourself in that kind of open space. And then a thunderstorm comes along, like we're having today, you know. So it's happening in huge space, right? Space. And each of the little hurts, you know, the little and the big, you know, you begin to feel like there's space for it. And you can't really feel this suffering unless you have the space. Yes, that's and very that's, good. I think people, what I notice is that people are moving away from the suffering, some kind of pleasure seeking, and don't want to look. And it's like, it's so odd because when you go into it, that's where it's released. But when you move away from it, it it's actually just buried in there. And right, heart, and, 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 gets, and it catches up, you know. <laughs> and your heart gets rigid because you're, yes. because you're, you're protecting yourself all yes. the time. You're moving in a, you know, most people seem to be always like protecting their hearts or yeah. protecting something because they're afraid of disappearing or they're afraid of the space. And the other thing so with that, what is your name, by the way? Will. Will, the other thing with that, Will, is that as this whole sort of ego thrust, let's call it that for the moment, yeah. as it diminishes, as it gets quieter, mm -hmm. you, have less to, you, you, you have less to protect. You're, no, nothing to defend. Right, exactly. And so, you know, a lot of stuff that used to trouble you doesn't trouble you so much anymore. Things, you, you know, you, they just get let go right away. Uh, even if the sting arises for a moment, it's it's not indulged. Yeah. Thank you. I, I just like everything you're saying. So 
Would you mind repeating a lot of what you said <laughs> I so think, I could hear it again? <laughs> I think we have it, don't we? we are we, we're recording, yes. <laughs> okay, well, whatever you want to say, I'm You're all listening. ears. <laughs> sort of, yeah. I like, as, as I like sometimes, possible. I like sometimes, you know, um, um, to reflect on the fact that often we have conversation as an excuse to really just, like, tell each other we like each other somehow, you know? I mean, you know what I mean? And it's like that um, Louis Armstrong song, um, you see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you, you know? It's, it's so sweet to think about how we humans, we use words and we have concepts that we share and all of that, but really, underneath, it's like we just want to, you know, just be together for a moment and have that, you know, that delicious sense of oneness. Right. Do you recommend having a meditation practice? Because I've asked this to a couple teachers here, and they both said sort of like, don't even bother. (laughs) And I just feel like... My mind is so out there and it's constantly going and my nervous system just feels pretty shot. Yeah, Um, which is not your fault, by the way. (laughs) Um, So, um, yes, if, if, if sitting at a certain time of day or occasionally or whenever the mood strikes you um, is helpful, by all means, you know, by all means, follow your own rhythm, your own truth, your own inner guide. It doesn't have to look like anybody else's, right? Um, I recommend what I call a living meditation, and that can happen either in a chair or on a cushion or in the bathtub or taking the dog for a walk or going to the movies, even watching television, right? I recommend a living meditation. Now, that said... Sometimes it's just really nice to just stop and sit. I like to liken that to um, let's I just I just said this last week in Los Angeles. <clears throat> let's say you're hiking. You're hiking up to the top of Mount Tam. And it's a hot day, so hot summer day. You're hiking up. And You've got some friends waiting up there at the Mountain Home Inn. Is that place still there? Does anyone know? Yeah, you've got friends waiting there. You've got a backpack on it. You're kind of sweaty. You're tired. And it's really, you know, it's tedious after a point, right? And you get there, and your friends have some lemonade waiting for you. You take off your pack. You sit down. And you're just there. You're just, ah, right? Just there, like nothing else needed, happy, (laughs) like that. So sometimes it's very refreshing to just have that, just to sort of sit and be. What I don't necessarily recommend about a so-called meditation practice is a lot of mental employment. Got that? A lot of mental stuff, watching this and watching that and sort of the having this mental homework of watching little objects and thinking that if you miss a few, that it signifies something. It, it doesn't. So I, I don't recommend that kind of mental activity. I, I, re- I recommend sitting with a kind of free flow. You spoke about Krishnamurti, a choiceless awareness, Right? choiceless awareness that the mind is just at ease and whatever arises arises and passes and you're just not troubled by any of it and you're not having to direct the mind around and drag it around and make it watch the breath make it watch the thoughts make it watch the itching you know you just (sighs) right like that so feel free, good. yeah, feel free, you know, to, to make that just as your way of being, whether you're, whatever you're up to, you know, washing the dishes and all of it, just hanging around. 
we humans are thinking animals, right? And then we've, we've taken uh, our spiritual uh, trainings and we've applied a lot of mental activity to the spiritual training, right? We're mindful. <laughs> and it's, I say sometimes, like being a head on a stick, you know, it's like the body is, you hardly notice it. You're just all in the head. Even, even in many of these spiritual trainings, it's a lot of head work. So this is something very different. It's really this full embodiment, alive in your body as an animal. Right? A live animal. Not that different from the rest. We like to think so, but it, we're not. So talk to us a little bit about um, this difference. If, if, if um, everything is okay and we are in a space of acceptance, right, um, then would there be any change or would there be any progress or would there be, and where would that come from? Yeah. Or, or the difference between complacency. Yes. And so just you, I think, you understand. What, where it comes from, what happens is the motivation shifts. It, it shifts as, as one is more relaxed and attuned to this particular frequency of ease. Your motivation subtly starts to shift. So it goes from needing to prove something, needing to kind of, like I said earlier, make your mark. Basically, the ego motivations, right, which we can see what that's doing in the world. Take a look around, read the newspaper or the news. Um, It shifts to basically just wanting to give yourself away, to give away... It's like love just spilling over out of you, right? It shifts to wanting to just be good compost for this earth, right? Just to, and, and not necessarily to leave any mark on this earth except the love that's in the hearts of people who knew you, right? The, the world doesn't need any more marks, you know? It was doing just fine with wild nature before we came along. And so to really understand that the, you don't have to worry about complacency. Unless it's truly your nature. <laughs> you know? Like Ramana Maharshi, for instance. You know, he went to this mountain. He was there for a few years, hanging around in the caves. Then he goes down, a, 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 you know, an ashram forms around him. But like anytime you see a picture of him, he's like... He's like that, and he's laying around. You know, he didn't really look like he was overly active, nor did his body look like he was working out much. So, you know, he was complacent from some standards, right? But, But here we are talking about him all these years later and affected by his presence on the earth. So sometimes it is one's nature to really not do much, Right? Just as there are animals in the animal kingdom who lay about a lot, you know, and others who scamper around constantly. So to really understand your own nature, to be, to be directed by your inner guide of, of who you actually are. But what I would propose is that in this tuning in and frequency, in this, this sweetness of being, there is a... There is a motivation that can be there that is, that is a, a servant of the greater good. Just that simple. You know, because you do see, you do see suffering. And you do want to help. And then it's all about what are the gifts that you have. For some people, their gift is to be still. And that sends out a signal of stillness. Right. For other people, it might be that you, you know, you show up and bring food to your friend who's sick, you know, or you go do their laundry for them, or you know, there's any number of things that will present themselves to you, and the motivation just arises. For other people, it might be that they have a certain gift that needs to be 
expressed through writing or through a particular kind of um, social activism or environmental activism. Again, moving from the, I always say, the pull rather than the push, right? You're moving from the, the feeling of, of just expressing it in this organic way. Thank you. My experience is that is that that presence is clouded by the little person who stomps its feet and comes in and demands this or that and has ideas of this or that. And um, I've tried various methods to uh, contain that presence, the troubling, troubled, <laughs> troubling and troubled. I, I would say, I would say, just make friends with her. I, I've tried that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not it's, it's still there right it doesn't matter that it's there okay. that's my whole point tonight okay it doesn't matter at all I'm, when I say make friends with her just say yeah you know she's hanging around sometimes you know not always but sometimes you know I, I used to describe this many years ago I, I used this uh analogy it's like have I, I i think of it in my own case like having a crazy old aunt who lives in the attic <laughs> she's up there rambling and ranting and full of nonsense you know and uh, you know every now and again you have to say there there dear right you can't kill her <laughs> you don't kill her <laughs> you know so you know you just let it be and and then again the 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 volume gets turned down Right? The volume gets turned down and the reaction to the fact that it arises also diminishes. In fact, I would even propose that reaction goes away. Like, I really don't care what arises in my mind. I don't care how crazy, depraved, ridiculous, sickening, nothing. Horrible things. Like, here's another example. Um, I've, many of you have heard it, but it's useful. So I was teaching in Dublin, and well, I've been teaching there for many years, over the years. And I was staying out of out of the city, and I was taking a train into the city each night to go to Dharma Dialogues to actually have sessions like this. I'm standing on the train platform, and in in Dublin they have a train called the Dart. It's very well named. It's the Dublin Area Rapid Transit. But it comes, it, it's very, very fast. And it comes into the station like this, zoop, like really fast, and then stops like on a dime. It's crazy, you know. So I was standing there, and all these people are on the platform and thinking, it'd be so easy to just jump in front of the train. I wonder why more people don't do it. If you want to kill yourself, what a perfect way. And kind of Anna Karenina and like. And, um, <laughs> And then I had the thought, and it would be so easy to push one over. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, I could just shove this person. <laughs> now, I didn't do it, of course. You know, but did I care that this thought arised? Not at all. I didn't care at all that it arised. You know? I, I didn't. I talked about it once I got to Dharma Dialogues. I thought it was hilarious. And making the point, I am not my fault. These thoughts, if I could pick the stream of thoughts, I wouldn't have picked the one I have. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't, none of this bothers me at all. And I have all kinds of, like, you know, anxiety arises. I have anxiety, happen to have anxiety due to my conditioning, hard childhood, and on and on. I just let it be, just as if you got a dog from the shelter who had been beaten, right? An abused dog you brought home. The dog is nervous. You don't torment the dog about being nervous, right? You don't try to make the dog be different or coerce it in some way, send it to little puppy school training, nothing, right? You just love that dog and hope that maybe it will calm down being in a loving environment. So... That's how it is. I, I don't, 
I don't mind. I assume the mind is mad. Some people are luckier than others with their mind stream, right, due to conditioning, due to whatever. Um, I don't mind at this point my mind. We're friends. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, so I have a 17-year-old daughter. Really? Wow, you look so young. (laughs) (laughs) Who um, is away this year, uh, finishing her senior year somewhere else on the East Coast. And it has felt like the hardest thing in my entire life, um, to some degree, the grief. Yeah. Um, And I've experienced a lot of grief before, Mm -hmm. so... It may be cumulative, do but but um, it's been really a roller coaster ride and unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Like when it arises and when it comes down. Um, been sick a lot and then really in t- um, trying to take extra good care of myself, and also noticing that it has changed my motivation and it may be a good thing because there's a part of me who feels less driven. Mm-hmm. to do and do and do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have multiple jobs. I teach at four colleges. I have a little business that I started. And I, um, having been a single mom for 15 years, I used to be in that mode of I get up and I start doing, right? Yes. And now that that has fallen away, my motivation to do all these things, even though part of them are, good things for the world. I teach at community colleges. I know there's tremendous need and things like that. Um, it's like I'm questioning everything. And sometimes when my mind is very active, I'm like, you know, what is this? Am I falling into a depression? And at other times it's like, I just want to be. I actually don't mind wanting to just hang out a little bit and mm-hmm. rest. Um, so there's so many different ways I am feeling and perceiving it and thinking about it and then just letting it be. And But it's very, very intense. Like I can feel it in my heart. She's coming tomorrow to visit, you know, for a few weeks. And um, there's not even that full joy because it's been such an intense... Um, experience all year long so I'm not quite sure even what my question is but some of what you said resonated that um, something around you know pain and joy being two sides of the same coin Mm. uh, and also this um, this lack of motivation may be okay right now well it sounds like you're doing a lot <laughs> I don't know if you need any more motivation <laughs> but um, um, you know yes it sounds like you know you could use a little space you know 17 years of being a single mom and keeping it all together and you know getting the food and going out and getting the jobs and you know all the thousands of other things you know so I can imagine you could honor the place that feels the loss. Mm -hmm. But you could also maybe bump up some appreciation for the spaciousness that is now there, right? That that you can enjoy and is probably um, good for your health in that, you know, you don't have so many balls in the air. Let yourself have some rest and some peace and some quiet time for yourself. Why not? You know, do some do some caretaking that you used to do for her, for you. Because one of the things that often the caretakers forget to do is take care of the caretaker. <laughs> right? They're usually the last on the list. And that is something that is not that efficient, Really, you know, so um, I would just encourage you to not fill up the space. You know, it sounds like you've got plenty of other things going on and that 
this might be a nice, you know, let's, let, let's see what wants to come in that space. Right? But maybe let it be for a while. Just hang out. And, and yes, of course, when, you know, those kinds of connections in a life, mother-daughter or... Yeah, so many of the, the great loves of life, right? I, I, had, I had this little cat that I had, I had house sat years ago in Los Angeles, and I fell in love with their cat. <laughs> and the cat fell in love with me. It didn't bond with it. It never even hung out in their house. It was always outside. But whenever I came around over all these years, that cat would show up and sleep with me at the house. And I was just with her. She's getting a bit old now. Um, and it's the same, it was the same thing. And, and saying goodbye to her this time, I had the thought I might not see her again because I don't get there so frequently and she's very old. Um, so there was this, you know, this sorrow kind of that ro- arose in my heart. Mm-hmm. Right? Just saying, saying goodbye to my little cat. <laughs> and... Like that, you know, this, this is how it is here. A lot of comings and goings. And it's beautiful also, you know, that your daughter, you know, has now flown the coop. <laughs> and, um, and if you've done your job well, she's on her own and making her way in the world and having her life. You know, and just as for you, when you were that age, you know, you kind of don't think about your parents as much as they're thinking about you. You know, <laughs> like you're, you know, you're in the full, you're a gallon full at that time. You know, and and so there's all that too. You know, you can delight in the uh, the liberation that she's feeling. And then there's also the resistance of, of like, I don't actually want to be done with that part of my life. You know, like there's the resistance of not wanting to But to whatever go. degree that resistance is strong, it just hurts. Yeah. You know, and there it is. This has been In the Deep. If you'd like to know more about my work, book a private session by phone or Skype, or make a tax-deductible donation in support of these podcasts, which would really help, as it takes quite a lot of time and expense to produce them every week, please visit katherineingram.com. Till next time. <laughs>